everybody, and welcome back to the Broadway Jets podcast. We're in a much better mood today on Thursday than we were on Monday following the loss to the Bills. We're feeling good. Our predictions were for the Jets to lose. Now they're for the Jets to win against the 49ers on Sunday. I'm NYJ Mike, and I'm joined as always by the president of memes of Jets Twitter. It's NYJ Matt. Yeah, we're back for episode six, the second one in one week. So if you want to go back and listen to our preview for the Buffalo or for the 49ers game, I still have the Jets losing, but um, it's going to be a good game. Me too. The 49ers have some injuries, but we have a great guest on today. We're going to go over that interview now with Connor Rogers. All right. And here we have a very special guest. It's Connor Rogers. He's the host of the Stick to Football podcast featuring Matt Miller. You might have heard of him. He's a draft analyst at Bleacher Report. He hosts a Mets podcast called That's So Mets Pod. I'm sure Connor's very happy about Steve Cohen. Uh, he's a handsome guy. If your girlfriend has seen him on TV, she might have rethought the relationship. We're happy to have him with us. Mr. Rogers. What's going on, guys? That's one of the better intros I've ever gotten. I have to say thank you for that. Uh, and I, to answer the Steve Cohen part, I absolutely am thrilled. Thank God. My baseball team won't be a poverty franchise anymore. I can't always say that. Uh, about my football team but um you know and for any girlfriends out there don't worry don't worry not gonna <laughs> not gonna do anything so everything's safe how are you guys doing oh no one's ever asked us that we're doing well we're doing well now. man really no one has ever countered with how are you <laughs> no we got like joe cap on here you know talking about himself no, no. <laughs> joe cap was great <laughs> uh, that's my co-host so i gotta tread lightly with that there it is. Yeah, turn on the Jets podcast. You want to do the Badlands report as well with him on on that. Site. That's right. Yeah, God, and and I've worked with Joe on and off since I was in college. Um, you know, since I was young in college, sophomore or junior year of college. That's how long I've known Joe now, going back, you know, eight years ago. So it's crazy. And the Jets uh, have never been good since. So that's been great. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. some, maybe you guys should disband the show. I don't know. We gotta figure I, yeah, I'm starting to wonder. Well, I mean, to be fair, we've done that before. We stopped doing stuff for at least a two- or three-year period when uh, I got really busy at Bleacher Report doing the draft and college football from a national perspective. And mm-hmm. it still didn't change the Jets' luck. So I, I don't really know what the answer is at this point. <laughs> yeah, so we have a couple of funny hypotheticals for you, and then we have some serious questions to talk to Jets. Speaking of Joe Cap. We have a hypothetical. If you were the starting quarterback of an NFL team and Joe Cap was your number one receiver, but the rest of your team was the best players at every single position, what would your record be in a 16-game season? And I'm the quarterback? You're, you're the quarterback, but remember, you have the best offensive line at every position. You're mm-hmm. running back to McCaffrey, Barkley. Your entire team is stacked, but you're the quarterback and Joe Cap is your number one receiver. <laughs> Do I get like a good number two and number three wide receiver? Absolutely. You get Michael okay. Thomas. You get whoever you oh, want. Oh, okay. That's a good qu- I genuinely wonder if we could win a game. Uh, it's a gr- and I'm sure people would you, – do you ask everyone this question? We, we, ask, we ask a variation of this question to people. Do people – are people confident? Like the guy that tweeted that he could like luck into a home run and all that nonsense? <laughs> well, yeah, Connor Hughes was uh, – we asked Connor Hughes if he was the middle linebacker and he had Manish Mehta and Rich Samini as the outside linebackers. <laughs> <laughs> I 
just picturing that and I'm dying laughing. Uh, man, I mean, you put me at a bad spot. Like, I'm not a good quarterback. Even in flag football, I'm not a quarterback. I've always – I've What's never been a, a wide receiver and corner. I mean, I'm, I'm not a, a – you know, and I don't have a big arm. Um, so I don't know if we'd win again. I mean, let's be real. Now, who's my coach? Because I feel like we can act. I'm, I'm still pretty fast. I will say that. Um, maybe Jim Harbaugh, uh, John Harbaugh run a little, uh, of the okay. Offense. Yeah. If you give me some read option plays and we have Greg Roman calling the plays, <laughs> I, I think we might be able to sneak out a win because like I said, I, I have adequate speed where if I'm just asked to run the read option, we might pull off a win. I'm not confident in it. But uh, I'm glad that – like, I hope people never say, like, oh, we'd win, like, six or seven games. I'd be thrilled if we could somehow miraculously win one. Uh, a humble great. answer. Very humble. There have it been is. people that we've talked to outside the pod that are like, I'd go 15-1 and one. every player. Don't stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to be able to throw at some point. But if I had five all-pros on the O-line and I have McCaffrey and Saquon, and, I mean, let's be real, when we get down to the 10-yard line, I could throw a fade to Michael Thomas. I'm not, like – I'm not like not an athlete. I'm adequate enough to do that. But it asked me to be running an offense between the 20s, not to mention NFL pass rushers are going to break through at some point and break me in half. That's a bit <laughs> of an issue. Durability concerns. Oh, oh man. That's good, though. Right, well, here's the bigger concern. I mean, I'm five foot ten. I can't see over the offense. Mm. And I'm not fast like Kyler Murray. Drew Brees, so, Russell Wilson, you know, you're a draft guy. You know every yeah. single time there's a small quarterback. They, you know, they, I know. They're freaks, though. They're they generational. To, uh, Drew, yeah. You know, I like it. That's a good question to open up with. That really gets the brain spinning. It's a good <laughs> right. question. Think about yourself. How about this? You know, speaking of coaches and, and their play calling, you have either, either one of these two things, not good things, either one of them. John Isdick has to draft. Your second, the Jets' second round pick the next three years, or every single time the Jets are in second and eight or longer this year, they run the ball up the middle. And I have to pick which one I deal with? I have to pick which one. Oh, I do the second and eight running because the Jets stink this year. So just lose every <laughs> game and draft good players with good draft picks the next couple of years. You have to realize you have on a draft person on the show, and I have no fear of sucking at each year where the Jets win like four games every year. So it's like, okay, this is what we're used to, but at least make the good picks. And Adam Gase is going to run on second and 10 and second and eight every time anyway. So it doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter what I think. I thought you would, I thought you would say Yep. That. Yep. There it yeah. is. <laughs> I think that's slowly becoming my brand. Like now I used to only do it for the Jets. I would scream and cry when they run on second and long. And now when I watch college football, it drives me absolutely insane. Every once yeah. in a while, if it's a you know tendency breaker, but it shouldn't be the tendency for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the Jets do it. Like, number one, when you do it, you give it to Frank Gore. And you have a box where it's like they're not, like, <laughs> playing eight guys in a zone in coverage. They're not dropping back guys and giving you space. The Jets just love to do it whether there's nine in the box or not. So that's my frustration. Yeah, and down two scores. I just looked through Twitter. We, me, Matt uh-huh. and I were watching the game complaining about it. And he tweeted, like, dude, down two scores in the fourth, second and 11, you run the ball in the middle. I mean, we were livid. Can't I mean, my thought process is all these guys wait their entire lives to get – and Adam Gase got hired very young, so maybe not for him. But with Bowles, this was something that drove me nuts. You wait your entire lives to get this jo- you know, these jobs, and you don't have any fire to ch- just go f- – like, what is the difference between losing by 10 and losing by 35? Thank Nothing. you. Nothing. You lost. So just go for it. And I – like when you punt with 10 minutes left down two scores, I, I had this argument with my dad because I was like, why, 
you know, why punt? And he's like, well, you're backed up. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. If there's score anyway, you lost. So just go for it. But I don't know. It's, you know, I have the same concept with the draft. Everybody loves to do the safe pick thing or make up a million reasons why you can't take a guy and this and that. You, you wait your whole life for that opportunity. You got to be, you got to take a risk at some point. Yeah, we agree. agree. We Hard agree with that. We were we could not believe Todd Bowles continued to punt down two scores with like four minutes left. In 2016, when the Jets were losing 27 to 10 to the Steelers with seven minutes left, and he punted in the fourth quarter, I literally I could not believe what I was watching. Or the Jaguars game, he did it also. And yeah, Doug Rome went for two. Well, it tells you two things. It either says one, I I I, you know, admit defeat. We lost. You wave the white flag. It's over. Or two, you are literally telling your offense, I believe the defense has a better chance to score than you guys right now when they're backed mm-hmm. up. Both of those things are very, very bad in the NFL. Yeah, we agree. Another hypothetical we have for you, life on the line, you need one of these things to happen. Kyle Wilson needs to stop Jerry Rice and man-to-man coverage on the 10-yard <laughs> line. Or Kerry Vidvik needs to make a 65-yard field goal for the win. Okay, and if, you know, whatever one I pick, if it doesn't happen, I die. That's what we're looking at here? Absolutely. Yeah, you're Okay, you're, that's you're fair. Dead. No, I like, I like knowing my results here. Okay, so is Vidvik kicking indoors, and is there fans? We're going to say no fans at MetLife Stadium, where he, you know, historically has uh, not been great. What, what month? Uh, let's say it's in early chance. October. Give the guy a chance. Come on. Uh... <laughs> Uh, man, I think I'm going to go with who's, – who's the quarterback in Kyle Wilson versus Jerry Rice? I've thought of this. I'm just going to say it's, it's Josh McCown. That's, that's your quarterback out there. That's a good answer because it's like you know, somewhere it's in so the middle. Basic. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't really make you think one way or the other. Man, I'm, I'm going to go with Kyle Wilson just because there's a chance the ball is not accurate. Where Vidvik is not making that kick in MetLife Stadium. Let's just, I'm dead. I'm dead. If you pick that one, it's, just, it's suicide. It's bad. It's, Can you imagine watching he just he shanks it? <laughs> I mean, that was so hilarious. That entire experience was just – it went exactly how everybody expected. Yeah. Yeah. We were at the game. We had season tickets. And last year we went to the – and just the, the life out of the stadium. And hearing Gates the next day said, hey, you look good in practice. And then when we got to the field at – 11 15 a.m he kicked and it looked horrible so classic <laughs> case man well if a guy doesn't doesn't look good in practice it, that's not going to turn around in the game for a kicker so it doesn't mm-hmm. really it doesn't really mean much but yeah that, that quietly thicken has been the least of their problems for He's been a fun. little str- yeah it's kind of shocking because he really wasn't good at penn state um and he you know was hanging on for his nfl career by a thread but he's, he's kind of settled in. With all the problems, he's not one of them right now. After that game winner against the Dolphins last year, he's been better. But he does have the worst nose in all of sports. Oh Maybe, ever. Maybe ever. Maybe <sighs> ever. I can't even get into that. <laughs> all right. So, you're a draft guy. The Jets are, you know, in a tough spot right now. We'll see what happens the next few weeks. The narrative can change. The Jets are – it looks like they're going to – they have a lot of positions of need. They're probably going to focus on wide receiver, cornerback, edge, maybe another offensive tackle. Would If the Jets have a top 10 pick, who's the guy that you would want? And if not, maybe they turn around a little bit. Who's a sleeper you'd want towards the end of the draft? You know, the Jets have the Seahawks pick as well, maybe something in the 20s. I'm curious, who is your favorite, you know, stud in the, in the upcoming draft? And who is your favorite sleeper that would make sense for the Jets? 
I would take Jamar Chase, and I really wouldn't think twice about it. I think, you know, in the scenario you're presenting, it, it feels a little similar to last year where they went into the year, awful staff, especially on offense, really bad offensive staff, uh, where Sam Darnold doesn't have much of a chance. But if they're not picking one, two, or three, then he wasn't as, you know, ground floor bad, right? And this weekend undoubtedly was as bad as it can really get for a quarterback. Sam really struggled. Uh, I don't think that's the quarterback he is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, top 10 pick, you're looking at a couple factors where you believe he still has a chance because you're going into next year with him. You're thinking, one, well, we we fired uh, the worst coach in football because I think that's fair right now to say. Wow. Uh, and, and, and no offensive staff, which, you know, really matters a lot in the NFL. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, everybody looks at Sam right now and they go, God, the mechanics have, you know, fallen apart. Yeah. Well, there's no quarterback coach on the team. And, you mean Dowell yeah, Loggins isn't yeah, a good quarterback? Yeah, Dowell Loggins? Yeah. Is yeah, that what you're trying to say to us? Who's <laughs> Breaking somehow news. <laughs> an, an OC. Uh, and, and Jeremy Bates for his problems is actually a great quarterback coach. You know, he wasn't yeah, their yeah. offensive coordinator. Uh, he's a very, very good quarterback coach. So well, we were, yeah, we were going back and watching the Packers and the Texans game. Of course, you know these games, and the Jets' offense looks good. Like in some of these I know. games, you know, the, the cool plays. He does a yeah. Creative. Bates was not a guy that was just dying to be an OC or calling plays kind of guy. He was somebody that he just works with quarterbacks, and he he has a really good reputation actually around the league as that. So it, it just was it just didn't work. But besides all that. Uh, then you're in the scenario you presented. You're looking at Jamar Chase. Uh, he's one of the best receivers I've seen since doing this job. Because wow. it also sets you up with a scenario where at the end of round one with the Seattle pick, you still might be able to go get a guard like Wyatt Davis, who to me looks like a Pro Bowl caliber guard. Um, where if you go into next year with a new coaching staff, you know, some new energy around Sam Darnold and an absolute stud at number one wide receiver – with Mims, and I know people are going to be down on Mims right now because he's hurt. The guy wasn't hurt in college. He's going to be fine. With Jamar Chase, Mims, and Crowder as your one, two, three, and Wyatt Davis, you know, playing left or right guard with a, a guy like Becton that looks good. McGovern's going to be fine. Fan actually surprised me this weekend. That's a much improved offense and something that fans would be excited about. You're, you're all in on the offense. No I am. I don't, think they'll, I don't think they'll be. I think they're going to look heavily at the corners – you know, there's three really good first-round corners in this class. They're going to be all over them. Um, Gregory Rousseau, they're going to look at him. You know, I'm, I'm in the middle on Rousseau because we saw one year. He, I don't know if he's even a true edge. And, God, a Jets fan's got to, you know, uh, be nervous when you hear that. Uh, how many times have they heard, you know, tweener on the defensive line? Another 34 defensive linemen. Oh. Yeah, exactly. So, and I, you know, so – Knowing Joe Douglas or his reputation, they're going to look at corner and pass rushers as well. But if I was in command, it's, it's Jamar Chase and Wyatt Davis, and you just you move on to round two. Sign me up. Done. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, well, I'll tell Christopher that. Johnson that. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, none of his answers have worked, you know, or, or what he's. Vote of, vote of confidence for Adam Gase. Week three edition. Yeah. yeah. Br brilliant offensive line. Yes, of course. So we try to keep it positive on Twitter because a lot of Jets fans, you know, rightfully so are frustrated. Following the week one loss to the Bills, not a lot of great takeaways. Anything from your end that Jets fans can hear as a positive note coming from that loss? Oh, absolutely. I think so. I kind of, this game made me so frustrated that I went into like psycho handwritten notes mode again to rewatch <laughs> it. Like that's how I was like, I got to see what like was going on. And uh, we'll just not talk about the bad things on paper, but the good things 
I mean, Marcus May was every bit as good as Jamal Adams was in that role. Uh, it's one week, right? Is Marcus May going to be as good as Jamal Adams every week? No, that's not fair. It's not fair at all. But just for this one game, it was Marcus May's best career, uh, best game of his career. And it was up there with some of Jamal's best games. I mean, just disruptive in every aspect of playing safety, whether it was reading the run, whether it was timing the blitz, finishing blitzes in coverage. Marcus uh, is a a really smart player in coverage, and he's been like that since his rookie year. So Marcus May was, I mean, phenomenal to the point where uh, they have to get that extension done. And there's just no excuse. You don't want to hear, well, they drafted Ashton Davis. There's no excuse. They got to get Marcus May's extension done because, you know, he's just a really, really good player on the back end and the front end of the defense. I thought Becton was very impressive. You look at a guy that comes into camp that he spent a lot of time trying to get his weight down in the offseason. He's been working on his technique. He's been working really, really hard. But at the end of the day, you just don't have a ton of practice reps and no preseason games. I mean, could you imagine being 21 years old and you're, you're lining up out there and looking at Sean McDermott's, you know, you're looking at that Bills front and you're on an island? I mean, they don't really help Mekhi Becton. They put him on an island all the time. And he was out there crushing people and looked smooth in technique. The one sack people were crediting to him is a coverage sack. It was not a sack on Mekhi Becton. Sam just held the ball too long, mm-hmm. assuming no one was open. Um, and, you know, that, that's going to happen. So really impressive returns from Becton. A really good game from May. I thought Fant was fine. He really didn't do anything glaringly wrong. Which is good right for no lineman. That's, you know. Yeah, no, exactly. It was a quiet game where it's like, I'll tell you this, you know, I'm not a big believer on the interior of this line besides McGovern. I think GVR is going to have his problems in pass pro, and he did. Uh, I think Lewis is a decent run blocker, but another guy that's kind of whatever in pass pro. He's always Sam. Le- yeah. He's always been – Sam left a lot of clean pockets in this game, and mm-hmm. it's just – you sit there and you go, is, you know, is he, is he broken? Is, what, why is he doing this? You know, the line was not bad. They're not good run blocking unit yet. It's frustrating. It's, they're predictable. Honestly, I don't even know if I put it on the personnel. They're just very predictable. So I thought the old line was quietly not a disaster and May was great. Bless Austin's a very competitive player. Mm-hmm. You could see it even on the broadcast tape, not even the all 22. He's just a very competitive, hard-nosed player. So, I mean, sure, it was not a good game. It was about as bad as it can get. But uh, those were some bright spots to me. I like it. Yeah. Um, all right. We'll do a couple more questions, and then we'll let you get out of here. We don't want to take too much of your time. Ah, you're fine. I'm curious. Uh, so, Becton had a nice week one, you know, just from the, the naked eye. And then I was looking through your feed as well. You thought Andrew Thomas played a good game week one. Any thoughts on the two of them, how they – are similar, different, you know, very early signs of who you think is going to have a better career or something like that? Well, I think what they're similar in at least week one and not in co- necessarily in college, they, they're just very reliable in pass protection in understanding the space around them. And it's something that doesn't really get talked about enough. Like, Becton really knows how to run guys, you know, out of the arc. And I think Andrew Thomas was really good at that in college. And they're actually guys, coincidentally, that both played right tackle and left tackle throughout college, while Jedrick Wills and Tristan Wirfs really did not do a lot of that. So uh, the experience is very evident when you watch both of them on film. They're very comfortable in their space. I think the difference is, you know, at times, I think Thomas looks a little bit more calm in pass protection in college. This is not week one. 
Right. Becton is a difference maker in the run game that Thomas is not right now. Becton, when his hands are on you, it's over. I mean, it really is. He moves people out of the way. He just has a level of strength that we really haven't seen much of in the NFL. You could, you could count him on, you know, your, your two hands of how many guys that size come in and, and move like that. So mm-hmm. I think once again, they're both highly regarded players. I think Andrew Thomas uh, is a, once again, a little bit more comfortable in pass pro at the moment, although Becton's taken strides from, you know, his last season at Louisville to a pro that is, is remarkable in my eyes. So I, I think they just, they're both rock solid players right now, but one can truly, truly be a difference in your run game where with the giants as a whole, not so much on Thomas, but definitely as a unit. I mean, that was really bad. It's like Barkley's getting hit two yards behind the line of scrimmage nonstop. Like the Jets game last year. Similar. Yeah. Yeah. It was exactly like that when Fadakasi and Shepard were just moving guys off the line of scrimmage. So, uh, you know, it's going to be fun to watch those guys throughout their careers, but if both turn into pro bowl tackles, left tackles, it really wouldn't surprise anyone. Yeah. Now, one last question for you today, as a draft guy and a Jets fan, you probably want to always see the Jets have some more picks to do research and, you know, scout guys that Jets might get. I want to know your initial reaction when you saw the update that Joe Douglas got that kind of haul for Jamal Adams? I was floored. Uh, from what I had understood at the time following this, this saga, for this saga was going on longer than people think. Um, you know, it, I, I was floored because everybody knew Jamal Adams was essentially going to force his way out. Now, they didn't move him. He was going to show up to camp and play because he had no choice, unless he would have taken all those fines. But everybody knew the leverage or lack of leverage the Jets had in this. And, and my my assumption, or not even my assumption, literally things I had heard, was that the Jets were going to ask for a first-round pl- uh, pick, a starting caliber player, and then probably a mid-round pick in return. Now, I thought the player they'd want – McDougal is a very solid player. I thought they would try to pry someone from the Cowboys. You know, now they'd never get them, but like a Lyle Collins, I thought they would try Ooh. to go down that road. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, it would have been great. The Cowboys, though, just couldn't afford to move someone like that. We're seeing their depth yes. issues on their offensive with, line. Uh, people retiring on their line and constantly. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah I mean, they started a UDFA right tackle on Sunday Night Football. So, so when the Jets got back two ones and uh, a third, and obviously they swapped their fourth, and McDougal, it's like, it felt like the extra one was not what anyone saw coming. If you told mm-hmm. me the trade was a first-round pick, a third-round pick, and McDougald's, and they didn't send back their fourth, maybe they send back like a sixth, it's like, okay, that, that checks out. You know, Makes you sense. lose Jamal Adams, you're not really thrilled about that trade, but you better hit on, hit on the pick. Now you're just – you've got a couple lotto tickets, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a really good trade. Um, you hate seeing Jamal Adams go, but the bottom line was he, he didn't want to be here and there's really nothing else to say. I mean, Jamal Adams did not want to be on the jets and it, it came down to that. And, uh, you know what, there's nothing you could do. So to get that return to me, you know, I was very impressed and it's, it's going to be very interesting covering the jets even more closely from a national draft perspective these next two years, because, you know, I, I like this upcoming class. I really do. I know there's all mm-hmm. these weird thoughts out there like this is the worst year to have draft capital and it's like well if you suck at scouting then maybe it is but like <laughs> like I mean and I understand that thought in the fourth and fifth around but like I've watched the top 50 guys like I feel pretty good about what a lot of them are and I, 
I don't, I don't know. I don't really understand the thought of having an extra first-round pick is a, is a problem this year. There's going to be really good players in the top 50 of this draft. The Jets are loaded up, but now we have to root for the Patriots on Sunday Night Football against the Seahawks. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a weird feeling. But, you know, <laughs> in Seattle, unless barring an injury, they should win a lot of games this year. But I think if you're looking at that pick even below, like, 25, like, if that pick's, like, 22 or 23, I think that's a win. Oh, yeah. Huge W. Maybe Russell Wilson will opt out. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we're getting that lucky, but uh, we'll, uh, to be continued. Yeah, dude, that was a lot of fun. Connor, thanks for joining, man. That was that was a really good time. Um, and I think that, that's pretty much it. We'll leave it there. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me. It was, it was fun talking to you guys. We'll definitely do it again soon, all right? Sounds good. Awesome. All right. Later, yeah. guys. All right. Let's get to this mailbag. Thank you guys for sending in your questions to us on Twitter. These very, very important questions that just need to be answered in the world today with what's going on. Let's do it. Yeah, we got um, Mike's good friend Kevin on the pod today. Kev, do you want to give a, an introduction? <laughs> hey, guys. Um, yeah, name's Kevin Zeals Nikki. Went to college with Mike. Uh, I met Matt a couple times throughout college, but uh, yeah, let's go, Jets. Former writer for TurnOnTheJets.com. Former writer for Turn on the Jets, New York Draft Central, and uh, USA Today's Jets Wire. There it is. But that, it's a long time ago. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, first question of the day for you guys. Makai Becton fight to the death against 24th graders. Who comes out the winner? Mike, we'll start with you. We talked about this before the show. If there were third graders, definitely Becton. Now, fourth graders are, what, like 10 years old? They're nine, yeah, nine or 10. Nine or 10, no weapons? Mm -mm. Nope. Uh, I still think Makai Becton wins. I don't know how the, the fourth graders work together. I don't... You know, maybe one kid is a little bit nasty and some of the other kids get a little upset. They start crying. Makai Becton stops them out. <laughs> and then, you know, it's now it's one on 17. Before you know it, Makai's a little worn down. But, you know, the last six, seven, eight kids, like, no chance. I like it. Kevin, what do you think? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with Mr. Levy here. I think that uh, – I don't think it will be a competition at all, to be honest with you. I think uh, – he, he, so how many fourth graders? 20? Yeah, 20. So, let's see. Kai's a big guy, really big guy, really strong guy, really quick guy. So I think uh, his strategy in this kind of situation, it would be to take away half of them at a time, essentially. So mm -hmm. he's, say he's surrounded by them and say they're in a ring or in a circle, per se. He would go to one side of the ring, take two of them immediately, just grab them and just pick them up and, you know, do whatever he has to do to win. <laughs> and then from there, he could use those two as like weapons, essentially, and just oh. swing them. Swing. So it's them. really twenty on eighteen to start. Plus, Makai gets weapon weapons. It, exactly. So I mean, I think Makai <laughs> takes this in a cakewalk. Yeah, I'm thinking. I mean, he runs a five a five one forty. He can fight five, then like sprint away, which is faster than any fourth grader. Regroup <laughs> and then just continue to maul these kids. So I think we're going three and zero on on Becton winning. Did that you fight. see the first play the uh, the the first run play? He like murdered oh, yeah. Jordan Boyer. He like murdered him off the screen. Awesome. That was good. A good opening week for Becton. Uh, Frank J D Nike has a question: If there is a f another fight to the death between the 2009 O line for the Jets or the current 2020 O line, who would win? And just a reminder: the 20 or 2009 O line. Was the Brickishaw, Alan Fanica, Nick Mangold, Brandon Moore, Damian Woody? 
a lot of size on the 09 line. We'll start we'll start with Kevin. You have a, any initial thoughts on who would win? Oh, I'm taking that 09 team even though Makai is probably bigger and stronger than probably all of those guys, but mm-hmm. man, I don't there's two people I don't want to see in a in a back alley. Probably Nick Mangold <laughs> and the Brickishaw Ferguson. I'm taking them. Uh, uh I think, dude, but DeBrick went to Virginia. He sounds like he has like a like a sinus infection all the time. He's also yeah. the nicest guy ever. I like. Really like Ferguson. Well, the thing is, DeBrick Ferguson actually can't get injured. He never missed a snap. Fire, good point. He physically can't get hurt. So the they'll have to kill the first four offensive linemen. The current offensive line will have to murder Alan Fanica, Mangled Moore, and Woody, and then have to just hold down. You know, Ferguson make him say uncle i'm with you <laughs> also he's like 60 pounds lighter than makai becton such a huge advantage for the current line yeah. well if we're take, talking like that then the current offensive line alan fanick is like 100 100 pounds now it's crazy oh oh like actually like those guys now that's <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question though um we have another one from swole stanton if you could redo one jets draft I like the last game. 10 years, which one would you pick? Yeah, you had a good answer. Yeah, I, I have a good answer for this one. As much as I, I love Sam Darnold, I would go back to 2017. First round, take Patrick Mahomes. Second round, you can still take Marcus May. Third round, you can take you know Chris Godwin. Fourth round, George Kittle. You can make that draft a crazy good draft. And the hypothetical, it allows you to you know be the GM for that draft in hindsight. So I'm going 2017 and just building that team around Patrick Mahomes. Mike, what about you? you I know you're probably looking at the Idzik 12 draft. Well, the Idzik 12 draft is so awful that anything that you do <laughs> is automatically better. Even yeah, the best point. pick is Quincy Anunua. I mean, it's a disgusting ab- abomination of a draft, but I don't know even if they drafted a little bit more prudently that year if the Jets would have been good. I would go back to 2008 and do anything but Vernon Golston. Because if you – the problem is that draft wasn't that good either. But if you get some kind of pass rusher there, something, that's all the anything. team needed to win the Super Bowl. They needed one, one pass rusher. Everything else was great. And they just didn't do it. And, you know, they took the guy at six, and he's a, you know, piece of shit. And it doesn't matter. Zero sacks. Um, so if you go back to 2008 and just – get something else even if it's not a pass rusher just one more thing maybe another receiver another skill position guy someone with a little spunk another safety you know you had Terry Rhodes at that time and and Jim Leonard in 2009 but that killed us man yeah Kev what do you think any any drafts that stick out that you would want to you know do over um I mean realistically probably every single one within the past (laughs) 10 years but, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with the Isaac 12 here because uh, I just pulled this up on Wikipedia, and, man, this draft is just full of superstars. Granted, the Jets missed out on – so, the, yeah, like the first – I think 14 out of the 17 players that were picked all went on to make one Pro Bowl at least, and then it's like Greg Robinson, Bortles, and, like, Justin Gilbert. And, of course, the Jets took Calvin Pryor. At the time, it was like, oh, it's like a Rex pick because he's like that – hard-hitting, strong safety, and granted, Pryor had a decent rookie year, but after that, he was just beyond bad. But mm-hmm. say the Jets pick, like, I don't know, anyone, like Brandon Cooks right there, D Ford, 
Jason Verrett, even Teddy Bridgewater, for God's sake. I know oh, yeah. looking back, it's probably not what they would have done. But like Joel and Pon- uh, Betonia went early second round to the Browns, yeah. and Devontae Adams was a second round pick. Allen Robinson was uh, Allen Robinson was a second round pick, and of course the Jets took like Jason Morrow, I think it was. And it's like you just keep going down and down that list, and it's just so bad. Like Dexter McDougal, oh. at that point he had like. Detours ACL twice, two times in three years. Why are you drafting him in the third round? And then Jalen Saunders. Uh, he's Ugh. Walmart D. Milner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is. It's just, you look like... at Jalen Saunders, Shaquille Evans, Dakota Dozier, Jem- Jeremiah George, Brandon <laughs> Dixon, I.K. Gambale, <laughs> yeah. Taj Boyd, Trevor <laughs> Riley. Oh, my God. Trevor Riley actually played games, which is the funny part, out of everyone on that team. I remember Jeremiah George out of Iowa State. I was watching highlights on, like, the day three they, they made the pick. I'm like, this guy is a tackling machine. Like, he's the future at inside linebacker. Just an absolutely horrendous draft. I love when we take, like, random corners in the sixth round that always suck, but now bless Austin. That's fun. Hey, we took, oh, bless God. Austin. Something. There it is. Oh, All right, we got to – corners. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> Drafting corners in the late rounds and then drafting like Nathan Shepard, for example, like Mac was oh, drafting <laughs> like defensive tackle. Better, someone better do something this week if the 49ers are on their third string center. I hope to we God. Push? Said, but... Like we don't have to have an edge rusher to always get a push. Like someone could just get a stack up the middle. They could. It doesn't have to be a corner blitzing. Just give me one player, please. Let's just one of them play good. That's all I want. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is a good question from the at of Gino to Owusu TD, which is a <laughs> phenomenal at. Um, if Gase got fired mid-season, who would you who would have a better chance of turning the season around, Marty Morningweg or Dowell Loggins? Marty Morningweg is like a a good NFL coach, just because he you know is a weird guy. I mean, Dowell Loggins, I don't want. And he, I can't even believe he's our offensive coordinator. So two Look things. Look at him. He's our offensive coordinator. And QB coach, by the way, which is ridiculous. But and everyone tweets the video of, of him like showing yeah. Sam how to like turn in the pocket. Yeah. <laughs> but Marty Morningweg, most famous, right? That was the we're gonna take the win game in overtime. Oh. And he kicked prior to the rule of, you know, you get the ball back, obviously. I kind of would love for Dowell Loggins, just the content that would be the final you know, say the Jets are one and seven, you know, the likelihood of going to the playoffs under 1%. I'd actually be really intrigued to watch Dow Loggins on the sideline at like five foot five being the head coach <laughs> of an NFL football team. Yeah, he's like, get out there. Like, press yes. conferences? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what he sounds like. I don't. He, he sounds like the nicest human being ever, like very soft-spoken. Yeah. Um, I, I, I love Dow. Um, we, you know, the challenge flag, God, so. That's a good good hypothetical. We got Bada Bing five four eight six. The Jets get the number one pick of the two thousand twenty one draft. What would you do? We'll start with Kevin on this one. Which pick? Number number one pick in the draft. Okay. Number one pick in the draft. I know what so I. So if if yeah if they were to go if they were to be that bad that would lead me to two things. One, Gaze just totally lost everything and it's horrible, which mm-hmm. is expected. Second thing would be obviously Sam did not live up to whatever expectations that we had at the moment. So I think it's, I don't know if I would do this, but 
I think it's if they have the number one pick, they're taking Trevor Lawrence. I don't think you could pass someone up like that type of prospect. You can't pass him up. And even though Sam has been the closest thing to hope that we've had in a very, very long time, it's if that were to happen, it would be time to move on. But necessarily, I don't think they'd move on from Sam, but I do think Trevor Lawrence would be the first pick. By the way, I didn't realize that Marty Morningweg is 5-27 and 27 as a head coach, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> On the Lions in 2001-2002. If the Jets are the number one pick, I'm trading back and loading up this team. Holy shit. You are going to have how many first-round picks? You already have two this year, two next year. You have two second-round picks this year and next year. Uh, no, you have one and one. So you have six premium picks already. You're going to trade down from the number one pick to one of the most from one of the most highly touted prospect, quarterback prospects ever in Trevor Lawrence. was not an exaggeration. This guy's been talked about for years as the number one pick. He's still in line to be that. You trade down, you get a haul, and you load up your fucking roster, and you kill everyone with Sam Darnold. And that's it. You put your money on where your mouth is. The only problem, like Kevin said, it depends how you get to the first pick. It, like if Sam gets hurt or something, then my take is more justifiable. If the Jets go four and twelve and Sam plays pretty well and someone get the first pick, like it's weird. If the Jets go one and fifteen and Sam is awful, you know it's hard for the Jets to not take Trevor. But I'm so out on that. I'm just so out on it. I would agree. I I would trade back for a haul. The going rate for the number one overall pick when there's a, a guaranteed quarterback prospect has been at least two ones, two twos. You can turn that into was it eight, maybe nine premium picks if you lose that first round pick in the next two years. It's, it's a trade you have to do. And uh, even, you know, I'm a big Darnold believer, and unless he goes out there and throws for a 22 picks, 16 touchdowns, like looks completely incompetent in year three, I would keep him on that team and build around him because you, you don't get good by drafting a new quarterback every three, three <laughs> or four years. And like, and really? If you look at it like an equation, if you say I'll take Sam Darnold and three – premium draft picks four premium draft picks for trevor lawrence i just wouldn't do it i would not do that i'm not trading darnold who i think is going to be a stud quarterback and two first whatever you know whatever you're going to get for that pick for trevor lawrence i'm not doing it no way so i'll be a thorn in both your sides you got to think long term you didn't think about this joe douglas is already what year on the job what's going to buy him more time even though he had six-year deal Sticking with Sam and say, so two years from now, when it's time for Sam to re-up his contract and he isn't where he's where he would like to be, that's going to be a bad reflection on Douglas mm-hmm. and there's going to be some heat on his seat. He drafts Lawrence. He's got that full six years to do whatever the hell he wants. I hear you, but he already has himself in a good spot is, is the difference. Oh, I agree. So I that's, agree. that's the kicker. So even if, let's say, Joe, we get the first pick, Douglas wants to trade it away. We get a haul. Even if Darnold doesn't pan out in two years, you're still in the position where you had those n- nine first and second round picks over the next two years where you build your roster. You get you can get another quarterback, plug them in, and go win some games. So, I mean, if the Jets go 10-6 and six and make the playoffs, I think, you know, the ownership will be ecstatic. Everyone's going to be like, oh, my God, whatever. They'll probably stay for a couple more years. So, you know, but if it's tough to say. Who knows? Because it, it just... looks like Douglas is, like, ignoring this year, which is very frustrating. Yeah, it's just it's this is the most crucial year. I mean, we've been saying that every year for Donald, but this year it's just like this was the time to not necessarily go for it. 
because I like what Douglas did in free agency. Sorry to go off on a tangent, but you look at those low risk and potentially high return contracts that he handed out in free agency. Like, granted, I didn't like the Paramount signing that much. I thought he's a bit of, I think he's just overrated. He's not that great. But you look at his potential and look at what they got him for. That could have filled the void for, the, uh, for Sam this year. Granted, there's just, it's not going to work out that way. But Douglas wasn't necessarily tanking for the season. He tried to do it in a way where, so say the season didn't go right, he would have no free agents to worry about next year, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, yeah. I agree. It's frustrating. You know, you got your guy in year three of his rookie contract. I want to go for it. And, and, and the reason does. I'm frustrated is year three, you want to learn how good your, your quarterback is. If you surround him with average talent and then he elevates that average talent, you know you have a superstar in, in, in the waiting. The problem is if you give him Chris Hogan, you know, Crowder goes down. Chris Hogan, Perryman, and Braxton Barrios going against the 49ers, even though they do have injuries. What if Darnold goes out there and has like a 230-yard, two-pick, two-touchdown game? Like the fans are going to be not happy about it. And then you look and you're like, are you giving him enough tools to, to know if he's going to be that franchise guy? So that's the frustrating thing in year three. Usually you have something competent around him. Key weapon of, of Perryman – and injured Bell, I know you can't fight injuries, but but God, it's a underwhelming feeling right now to, to be a Jet fan in week two of 2020. And that was pretty much it for hypotheticals. We got a couple more that we can go through, but um, Kevin, I want to hear your take on the 49ers coming up. Me and Mike had a preview last uh, earlier this week on the pod. I want to see what you think the, the Jets are going to do against the 49ers come Sunday. Yeah, so I think this is one of – low-key, it's one of the worst matchups for the Jets now. For the obvious reason, it's because of uh, that one guy named Joey Bosa. He's absolutely terrifying, and I think he's going to have – yeah, he's going to have a field day with Becton or Fant or whoever he's going up against, which horrifies me. But I think their key to winning, it's – it's just, I think it just all relies on how good that first drive goes with Sam. Because as we've seen with Gaze and him over the past year, year and a half, whatever it may be, it's if that first drive doesn't go well, it's it's game over. Because the way Adam Gaze, or at least in my opinion, the way Adam Gaze's offense, his system works, it's all about minimizing risk. So that's why we see all of these stupid second and 11 inside zone runs right up the gut. It's to ascend, the, the thinking behind it is to make that third down conversion easier, even though 95% of the time it results in a third and nine, and that does not make life easier on anyone. Mm-hmm. But it's all about minimizing risk and taking those calculated risks when it's appropriate. So you look at the Cowboy game last year, you look at the Giants game last year. I remember, I have it vividly in my head. It's Sam running that read option play on the goal line walks into the end zone. That drive is beautiful. That one Cowboys game where he throws that bomb to Robbie, it was a calculated risk and it worked out because it, the Jets offense just got in rhythm. They didn't have any penalties on the kickoff. They didn't have a holding on first and 10 to make it first and 20. Mm-hmm. And so it's essentially once Adam Gaze's offense gets behind the chains, it, it's game over because the team as it is, they, they can't play catch up. They can't win in a shootout. So Gaze's offense is built around like minimizing the risk of all these players being horrible by putting them in the best position, not the best position to win necessarily, but it's like 
how can I make sure that Sam doesn't throw an interception here? Okay, we're gonna put we're gonna throw like a two yard screen, or we're gonna give the ball to Lev up the middle. It's just it's so frustrating, but their key to winning it's just they have to keep as stupid as it sounds. They have to keep Jimmy G off the field, or no? Let me rephrase that. They have to keep Jimmy G on the field. So even if that means the Jets' defense is going on these ten minute drives. Honestly, their defense scares me more. And I think their defense can put up more points than their offense, which sounds so bad. But based on what we saw last week, there's no reason to believe that the 49ers defense isn't just going to absolutely tee off on this Jets offense. And Kevin, I like the point you made on the term shootout, because if you look at Darnold's, you know, what was it 27 games now in his career, I feel like only one of them has been a true shootout where both teams are going back and forth on offense scoring touchdowns. And that's the Packers game in 2018. So it, it frustrates me because I love watching Darnold air the ball out nonstop. Yeah, 100%. Adam Gase plays to, you know, oh, it's where the game was at. We wanted to, you know, get a few yards on first down and manage the ball. I'll, sometimes I'm watching my, my quarterback air it out. And in the games, you know, like the Redskins, Cowboys, he throws for these big yardages, but it's also like a, the Jets get a few touchdown lead. Cowboys and Redskins scored a handful of touchdowns. Cowboys made it closer than the Redskins, but it didn't feel like a true shootout. I'd love for tomorrow to be or for Sunday to be a shootout. There's nothing I want to see more than Donald throw for 300 yards plus. Exactly. I don't think, I don't think we're going to see a shootout. Though. I don't think the uh, yeah, Ford offense is, is that good at all, to be honest. That's why I'm not I'm not so nervous about this game because the 49ers strength on offense is is like we talked about on Monday, is you know, running the ball, that stretch play. The Jets you know, showed that they could really stack up the run last year. 84 yards a game on the ground against was second in the league. They only let up 33 yards on the ground to Buffalo running backs. Jimmy G's not exactly a mobile guy. You know, he's, he's handsome, but he's not very mobile. Uh, and he only completed three passes to wide receivers last week. I don't think that's going to change, which is not the best news for us because – we have trouble covering running backs out of the backfield, especially when we're on our fourth and fifth linebackers. But, like, Mostert had 95 yards receiving last week. But Kittle's banged up. Um, I'm not scared of Kendrick Bourne on the outside. Debo Samuel's out. The 49ers have a ton of injuries, too. It's looking like Richard Sherman – well, Richard Sherman's definitely out. It's looking like Akeel Witherspoon's not going to play. Their second corner, their second-string center is out, leaving their third-string center. The Jets have some areas where they can inflict damage on the 49ers. The 49ers pass rush, like Kevin pointed out, is going to be a huge issue. But maybe this is where Gase's ridiculous offense will work. You know, maybe Frank Gore goes a little north to south. You know, but it just you just need some something to work. I want to see what happens if this if this disturbed man's offense works. Because you keep hearing he's an offensive genius, and Chris Johnson said it like an asshole again. But me, what is it? Is is it ever going to work? Because some games, you know, maybe last year the Giants game, the Resident game, scored 34 points a couple weeks in a row, the Raiders game. Right. Can it happen? It's not so much just because I actually like that style of offense. I think it makes sense. Not in the current, the current players the Jets have. I love the Patriots style of offense where you run the ball, you really fool the defense when you do a play action, not just play action, but do play action for the sake of play action. You really get the linebackers moving in. Then you hit them, bang, over the top. You keep them on their toes. Quick swing passes. When the screens work on third and seven, it's a backbreaker. Like if the Jets were winning in the game and they did that third and seven screen to Crowder and he scored a touchdown, then the other team is fucked. But it's, it just hasn't worked. I want to see it consistently work in the beginning of the year in important games against good teams. And who, the, who knows? You know what? Let's, let's see what happens this week. 
you know, and, and we'll, you know, and if by week four, the Jets are two and two somehow, three and one, maybe we'll, you know, think about everything differently and maybe uh, we'll come around on Gase, but I'm not overly confident. No, no, no. I'm just not. I'm just not. I'm just saying. You, I'm just, I'm frustrated that last week we went down 21 nothing, which is partially, of course, the offense's fault. The defense can't get off the field. But I want to see what happens. Like, the Jets had the whole offseason to change their identity to, you know, there's, a, there's six new offensive starters, no preseason, you know, all, you know, coronavirus, whatever. Every team has to deal with it. I understand the Jets were horrible last week. But I just want to see what happens. Maybe the Jets get into a rhythm and play some normal football, get Sam moving around, and, uh, and, and then we win some games. So I'm not done yet, and I don't think the 49ers are as good as they were last year. I'm not scared of their offense at all, to be quite frank. I'm just not. Mr. Yeah. Levy, you hit it right on the head right there. Rhythm. That's the key to Adam Gaze's offense, and that's the key to Sam Darnold's success. They get behind the chains, behind the sticks, behind on the scoreboard, it's game over. You keep it a one-possession game, anything can happen. I love it. Well, Kevin, thanks for, for coming on. I mean, you got to have you back soon to go through more Jets mailbag and get your reactions after each week. But we'll wrap it there. Thanks again, Kev, and uh, talk to you soon. Thanks, brothers. Appreciate you guys having me on. It was a, it was a fun time. Hope to do it again soon. Third down and seven. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out in space. Slips a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder breaks free. It's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. And somehow, the Jets are still in this ballgame.